Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell and Anita Lambert. We are recording this on May 31st, 2020. And within the last few weeks alone, we have seen the death of Ahmad Aubrey, a black man killed by white supremacists. We have seen the death of Breonna Taylor, a black woman killed by police in her own home. We have seen the racist actions of a white woman, Amy Cooper, in Central Park in New York City. We have seen the death of Regis Korczynski Pequet, a black woman in Toronto who apparently fell from the balcony of her apartment while police were in her home. And we have seen the murder of another black man, George Floyd, by a white police officer in Minneapolis. These events are not new. They are unsurprising. They are increasingly filmed and made visible for us, and they are horrific. With that, we are consistently reminded that racial justice is a feminist issue, and we want to re-air this episode with Kara Ganey called Black Maternal Healthcare and Reproductive Justice. Before we replay this episode, we want to read these words from Rachel Cargill as she highlights the need for commitment of white people to take action and challenge racism and white supremacy in maternal health care and birth work. Black women are seeing their children shot in the streets. Black girls are being pushed out of systems due to institutionalized racism. Black mothers are dying at disproportionate rates due to proven medical biases and maternal mortality. Black women are carrying the heavy burdens of being the foundations of communities that the police are terrorizing day in and day out. I don't want your love and light unless it comes with solidarity and action. I don't believe your commitment to the women's movement if the only women you show up for are white women. So friends and colleagues, we can't claim to care about empowering women if we don't care about empowering all women. If we don't care about the empowerment, the health, the safety, and the care of Black women, of Black mothers. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your health care. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome on to another episode of To Birth and Beyond, Jesse Mundell, and today we are joined by Takara Ganey, who I cannot wait to introduce you to. Takara, thank you so much for being with us. Of course, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, we've been trying to make this happen for a little while now, and I'm... <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's all going to make sense when I read your bio of why it is tricky to schedule things in your life. So let me give people a quick intro to you, and then we will talk more about all the work in this world that you are doing. All right, awesome. Tikara Ganey is an experienced doula, childbirth educator, placenta specialist, advocate for reproductive rights and justice, and owner of Black Moon Doula Services. She is a Philadelphia native who has a passion for birth, traditional healing modalities, reproductive justice, and women's empowerment. Through collegiate studies and training, Takara built on her natural inclination to be with, hold space for, and celebrate people going through reproductive experiences. It is her honor to work with people during the sacred and transformative time in their lives, especially when it comes to encouraging people to trust in their bodies. Beautiful. Please tell us more about the work that you do and how you came to this work. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. I was thinking, where should I get that bio from? (laughs) So that's from my website. Um, So like you said, um, I am a full spectrum doula, uh, which means I basically support folks across the full spectrum of pregnancy outcomes. So that's abortion, birth, loss, um, et cetera, whatever that may be. Um, I'm also a childbirth educator, placenta encapsulation specialist, um, and really just overall, I love to promote wellness and health um, with Black and Brown folks. So I try to center my work on Black folks and queer folks, um, ensuring that my work is inclusive of the LGBTQ community, um, gender non-binary community, trans community, um, and Black folks in general, but also open it up to, you know, all folks who have, you know, reproductive experiences. Um, my background is in anthropology, um, and a lot of my training theoretical framework kind of informed my applied work in population health, which I did for a little bit. Um, I was one of those folks who thought I was going to go into traditional biomedicine. You know, I went through pre-med. I thought I was going to become a doctor. Um, however, through experiences within those environments, interacting with health professionals, um, interacting with patients, providers, really understanding the bureaucracy within the healthcare system. Um, I realized there are certain gaps that need to be filled that I cannot fill by being a part of that system. I need to kind of take myself out of it a little bit, be around the periphery of the system um, and see how I can fill those gaps. So that's kind of how I got into doula work. So I started volunteering for a program um, in San Diego where I was living for a few years. Um, I did that off and on for a little bit while still working within the nonprofit spectrum um, or world. I did a lot of philanthropic grant making, um, supporting organizations that were actually doing the work to drive racial justice, gender justice, um, community justice, doing the work on the ground, you know, through grassroots movements. Um, So providing resources to them. And then I realized, wait a second, I want to be on the ground too. 
I want to do that work. Um, and so I recently relocated back to my hometown, Philadelphia. And in that relocation, I used that opportunity to really dive into my doula work um, full time. And I see the work that I do as radical work. Um, it's a work of resistance. And when I say resistance, I mean really resisting the idea that reproducing bodies, especially reproducing bodies of color, you know, lack autonomy. Um, they're systemically devalued um, and really resisting a system that dismissed and appropriated a lot of the ancestral indigenous knowledge that was used to support reproductive health before obstetrics was even a field, before that was even a thing. Um, and so that's just a long way to say <laughs> my work um, as a doula is not a single issue work. Um, it's not just about creating a positive birth experience. Um, or reproductive experience for folks. It's really about trying to circumvent or act as a, a protective factor against a larger system um, of different isms, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, all those things. Um, so it's really like reproductive justice work and not mm -hmm work that I'm doing because it's it's cool or it's fun or it's in or it's you know part of this new movement it's 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 really about changing lives and impacting lives and for some folks you know it's a matter of of life and death yes thank you for all of that you're welcome beautiful description and introduction to you i am so inspired by your work and really respect all that you are coming to this work with. Can you explain a little bit more about why you think your work is radical? Yes, absolutely. Um, like I said, it's, it's kind of a new idea to oppose a, a larger system such as the healthcare system by medical system in which you have this power dynamic, this authoritative dynamic um, that exists. You know, I don't care how much education a person has. Um, I don't care how wealthy a person has. When they walk into that doctor's office, when they walk into that hospital, there's a certain dynamic that exists regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your education, socioeconomic status. Um, that doctor, that provider is, you know, they're the hierarchy, right? They know what's best for you. They claim to know what's best for your body. Um, and it's they're talking down to and to you about what to do with your body, with your health. Um, however, I come from a school of thought where, wait a second, this is my body. <laughs> this is my body. 
Um, I know what's best for me. I know how to trust my instincts. I appreciate your expertise, you know, because, of course, there's a certain expertise that comes into it, a certain level of training um, that the providers bring. However, it needs to be a conversation. It needs to be collective action. It needs to be um, patient-driven or person-driven. And the work that I do is really to assert that notion of we're in this together. Um, you're providing me with your advice, expertise, recommendations, um, and giving me all of the information that I need to make an informed decision. And for some reason, that's a radical idea because that just doesn't happen. Um, and in addition to that, it's, it's also considered a little radical because it's not focusing, like I said before, on like a single issue. So instead of focusing on, um, you know, choice, you know, I want to choose to have this type of experience. I want to choose to have this type of birth. I want to choose to either have an abortion or not have an abortion. I want to choose to take contraceptive or not take contraceptive. It's really about what other factors are really impacting that choice. Um, what good is it to have a right to something or to choose something if your ability to choose is restricted and constricted by other cultural, um, structural, institutional uh, constraints? And so as a doula, as a birth worker, as someone who's knows how to navigate the healthcare system, but doesn't work for the healthcare system, really works for the individuals that I'm supporting. Um, I'm able to kind of walk and tread two worlds at the same time. And so acting as that uh, liaison, acting as that catalyst for um, a new way of communicating, a new way of approaching one's health. I guess it's a radical thing. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh my gosh, this is such an important conversation. A few things that I wrote down as you're speaking through that. Mm -hmm. Choose. This is so important to consider, especially yeah. for us, the people who are listening in, myself, who are afforded many privileges. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I thought about so much during my last pregnancy and birth experience. Quickly to catch you up, it was a scheduled C-section that mm -hmm. I chose to have for many reasons. But I just kept thinking through that experience like, holy shit, I get to choose this. I get to walk into this room with these medical professionals, tell them that I want this, that I want this birth to go this way. And they listened to me, respected that, gave their opinions, of course, but ultimately they were on board with what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And they trusted me and my experience of my body and what I wanted to do. And that is not the reality for so many people. Right. So 
Another word that I wrote down was decolonized as you were talking through the medical system and how we are working with, we are birthing in a colonized system Mm -hmm. Um, in every aspect, obstetrics being one of them. Can you talk to that a little bit? Um, Sure. So the root, in my opinion, the root of a lot of the challenges we have with education, and this just isn't an American issue. You know, this is international because, hey, the colonizers were not, you know, discriminated. They just went everywhere. Um, but the root of a lot of issues we have with disparities in health, disparities in education, um, disparities in um income disparities in livable communities, you know, basically environmental justices, injustices, I should say. Um, the root of all of that is, is white supremacy, which stems from colonization, um, which also asserts this idea of capitalism, um, deeming who is worthy, who isn't worthy, for quality care, who is worthy, who isn't worthy to reproduce. Um, For example, there's, you know, a long history in the U.S. of folks of color, women of color specifically, um, being forced to undergo sterilization without their knowledge. Um, And that stems from, I don't know the exact details, but this whole idea of the pure, wholesome white woman. And if you didn't fit within that category, you weren't worthy. Um, And in fact, you weren't even a productive citizen Um, of the nation state and not able to really provide any value to the nation state. And so because of that, let's just stop any reproductive abilities you may have and force you to undergo sterilization. Um, The same, it kind of stems into today. Now, there isn't as much of a higher occurrence of that happening um, thanks to research, thanks to, you know, people really calling it for what it is. But however, it's taken a different form now with what I see is as soon as a person literally, you know, five seconds before has just given birth, delivered a baby, um, they are asked by their provider, what are you going to do about birth control? Um, and The question, that question is oftentimes asked to either folks who are receiving um, Medicaid, which is our government-sponsored healthcare, um, or folks of color. I find that there is a difference in the type of questioning, the type of um, reproductive surveillance that kind of happens. It's definitely less with clients of mine who don't identify as folks of color than the ones who do. And so, again, that's the same thing, but 
it looks a little differently, right? And it all, again, stems from colonization. And so this idea of reproductive justice work or doula work um, or any work that really addresses those systemic issues that are historical within a society is really working to deconstruct and dismantle those colonized ideas um, and views of health, of wellness, of women's bodies, of the reproductive capabilities of Black and Brown folks, um, and even how one exhibits their sexuality. Um, So the decision to utilize birth control, to not, um, and to really live in their full authentic self. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. And also thank you for all the emotional labor that's going into this conversation on your end. Thank really you. Appreciate. That. Yeah. Your education. So, and also one thing I just want to mention as well mm-hmm. about sterilization is that we in Canada are seeing um, many stories of this recently in the media uh, mm-hmm. regarding Indigenous populations, Indigenous women in Canada. So I just want, I, this is another conversation too, but I know mm-hmm. a lot of this conversation will be centering around the U.S. because that's where you do your work and where you're based. Um, but Canadians, we need to take a very hard look at what is happening in our own healthcare system as well. Absolutely. And, and I agree. It's like I said, it's, it's, I can speak specifically to, you know, the U.S. healthcare system. That's, you know, the system that I'm working within. Um, however, these issues cross, you know, all nation state, all, you know, boundaries. It's not just a U.S. issue. Um, there's indigenous folks in every community, every country, um, who again, it comes back to colonization due to colonization are either erased, marginalized, pushed down, pushed out to the periphery. Um, and there are injustices happening that do not even either make the mainstream or not discussed or people just don't simply care. And so I appreciate you for even bringing that up because there might be some folks who don't even know about what's happening. And so now you're planting those seeds um, to get those conversations started, which is one of the things that people can do if they don't know what else to do to be active and drive forth change and get involved, um, have a conversation. It's so simple as that. Don't be afraid to be uncomfortable because it is an uncomfortable conversation. Um, But it's not about feeling guilty. It's not about, um, you know, feeling uncomfortable because it's it's essentially not about the individual, the person. It's about the environment and the system in which we're we're living in. Um, So as long as they give a damn and are having conversations with other people um, and speak out when something's not right, that's a start. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because that was a question I was going to ask you is that 
what can we do as non-birth workers or people who are not in healthcare to support reproductive justice? Well, like I said before, reproductive justice is not just about um, reproductive health, right? It's about the right to make a livable wage. It's about the right to live in an environment that's not heavily polluted with lead. It's about um, being able to acquire and afford childcare for your children so that you can go to work. It's about accessing quality health insurance. Um, it's about being able to work and walk and live in the community and country you've lived in either since birth or for a number of years and not fear getting detained by immigration officers. It's about all of those things and that all impacts health. Um, so educating yourself on all of those issues is important. Read up on current news. Um, there are a few books that I would love to give a list to you, Jesse, and then if you can maybe put it on the podcast description and mm -hmm. people can maybe look into those. Definitely. To get a better kind of like theoretical and historical context of these issues. Um, and then also volunteer your time. If you can, um, volunteer your skills and expertise. So if you're great at fundraising, if you're great at event planning, if you're great at um, community organizing, development, um, marketing, you know, grant writing, anything like that, volunteer your time or your skills to organizations that are focused on addressing some of those structural issues. Um, so ACLU is a really great organization. Um, Black Women's Birthing Justice is a really great organization. Sister Song. Um, there's one that I'm affiliated with called Oshun Family Services or Oshun Family Center. Um, and what we do is try to address maternal mortality within the Black community through targeting factors that may lead to postpartum um, mood disorders. So we work with psychotherapists and doulas, so it's kind of a collective effort um, to identify those markers or risk factors for those postpartum mood disorders, um, but being able to kind of provide wraparound services to folks ahead of birth, so during a prenatal period, during birth, and then immediately postpartum. Um, and this is kind of going off track, but one of the things that just baffles me, and there are a few doctors right now that are talking about adjusting these timeframes, is after delivery, a person doesn't see a follow-up with their doctor until six weeks. What? That's a very long time. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Where is any support? Where is any care um, between the moment that baby's born to, you know, the next day when they go home or a week later or a few days later when there's so much that can happen within this time? Um, and that's usually the time frame where a lot of either feelings or lack of support or frustrations or lactation or a lot of things are happening in that time. Um, so being able to circumvent that a little bit and provide support is what we do within the organization. But I know there's a few um, doctors in the U.S. that are trying to push that up to three weeks visit, which you know, which is great. It's not the best, but it's something. Um, So going back to my original thoughts, you know, volunteer your time for those organizations. Um, If you can't volunteer your time, um, going back to my experience in philanthropy, donate money. Um, Because resources are far and few between. They're very difficult to acquire. Um, And by resources, I mean, you know, space to hold events. Um, trainings for capacity building, um, supplies, you know, so many things that these organizations need. They're doing the work on the ground that they just, the funding is limited. The social capital, the people power, the skill power, that's, you know, that's in a surplus. But sometimes it's the funding that's the limiting factor. Um, so donating whatever you can to those organizations, um, is important. And then lastly, what I'll say is if there is anyone doing work with any community that's considered um, impacted by these structural indifferences, they need to center those voices, highlight those voices, put those people towards the center stage. Um, not as accessories, right? Not as an advisory, but as the main dominant voice really driving change for what their community needs. Um, That's one of the things that does not happen very often. I can't tell you how many organizations I see that are working towards whether it be immigration justice, um, environmental justice, improving educational outcomes within, you know, urban communities. However, every single employee and or their board of directors do not look like that community that they're working in. That doesn't make any sense. They're, They're not doing anyone any justice by not having some type of inclusionary practices within their organization. Um, So I do challenge any organization or folks work within those communities. If you look around at the people that are sitting with you at those boardrooms, at the tables in your office, and they're not looking like and reflecting the community in which you claim that you're working for or working with, some changes need to happen internally. Absolutely. Yeah, so helpful. Thank you for all of that. Absolutely. You're very welcome. I want to go back to specifically what you were talking about, Black maternal health care. Mm-hmm. And I think from just my lens and maybe some of the people listening in, that we're seeing an increasing amount of necessary conversation in media and healthcare itself about 
the stark statistics regarding the care and outcomes Black women are experiencing in pregnancy, during childbirth, and postpartum. Mm-hmm. I, I want to read a couple quick quotes from a recent article that was titled, A Black Mother Told Not to Scream in Labor Asks, Can California Fix Racism in Maternity Care? And we will link to this article in the show notes as well, along with those books that you will send along to. Okay, great. So a couple quotes. Black women are substantially more likely than white women to suffer life-threatening complications during pregnancy, give birth prematurely, die in childbirth, and lose their babies. And the next quote, a host of factors underlie this health gap, but studies consistently point to an ugly one, the persistence of racial bias in perinatal care for women of color. Even when studies control for socioeconomic differences, the healthcare experience for Black mothers is particularly and often lethally inadequate compared to that of other ethnic groups, not to mention traumatizing. So can we speak a little bit more about this, a little bit more what you might see and experience working within the healthcare realm. Absolutely. And um, thank you for sharing that. And I completely agree. Structural inequality, trauma, sexual violence, all of the things that communities of color, specifically Black women communities experience, it makes people sick. Um, we hear time and time again the idea that, you know, race race is not real. It, race is a social construct. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a factor for anything. Um, however, when it comes to health, you know, social determinants of health, it's a risk factor for a number of things. Race, your race is a big risk factor. Um, however, I would challenge that and say race itself is not a risk factor for anything. Um, It's racism, which is the risk factor for all of that. The implicit bias, the psychological and uh, physiological, biological impacts that, that racism has on the human body causes, you know, chronic stress, it it really alters your hormones, it really alters how your body operates. Um, And all that discrimination really causes people to be sick. It biologizes race into something that can't really be be quantified. Um, However, it's always listed as a risk factor. And in the U.S., we we have the highest maternal mortality rate of any industrialized nation. And I mean, like compared to Canada, UK, Denmark, Spain, uh, China, you know, you name it. Right. And it's unlike those other countries I named in which the maternal mortality is decreasing each year. Ours is increasing. And we spend the most amount of money on healthcare than any other nation. Um, why are we still seeing these disparities? Why are women still dying during childbirth? Why are women still dying a year after childbirth? Why are um, indigenous folks 
not receiving the health care that they need? Why are our trans folks not receiving the health care that they need and dying um, with, with getting those types of care? And the only excuse is racism. And like you said, when reading, you know, those quotes, when adjusting for education levels, socioeconomic status, um, housing, you know, all those factors, Black women still have a higher rate of maternal mortality compared to white women. Um, and some of that is really hard to measure. It's institutional racism is very difficult to measure. Um, you know, very rarely are there, at least now, established policies in place that say, okay, we're going to limit care for these type of people based on their race. Maybe 30 years ago, but not anymore. Now it appears and rears its ugly head in the form of implicit bias and privilege and uh, discrimination. And I see that every single day. Um, why some women, Black women, women of color, don't seek out the prenatal care that they need um, is because either either no access to health care, a mistrust with the healthcare system um, based on previous experiences they've had. I've been in offices, doctor offices, hospitals, where the nurses and doctors just say the most ridiculous things. Um, I've heard one person, one nurse say, oh, you know, this woman came here and she's on Medicaid and the reimbursements with Medicaid insurance aren't as high for those hospitals as they are with someone with private insurance. Um, and I wanted to mention that because what she said was, this woman is coming in with Medicaid insurance and she's just demanding so much. Why does she need all of these resources? And by resources, she was requesting use of um, the birth ball, requesting use of their birth stool, um, you know, asking for beverages, you know, things people use during labor. Um, however, the fact that the type of insurance she had um, and her status as a Black woman deemed her, I guess, not worthy of, of requesting all of those items um, from the hospital staff. I've also heard, you know, um, lactation consultants and nurses walk into the room and not acknowledge the support people that are there. So like the partners, whether it be wife, husband, um, mom, whoever it may be, they don't acknowledge them. Um, and when they do acknowledge them, they're um, referred to as, oh, is this the baby daddy? Okay, you mean the father of the child or the person's partner or husband or whatever it may be. Um, so these, these interactions are part of a bigger picture of stereotypes that providers have for folks of color, um, discrimination that they have against folks of color, 
which impacts the type of the quality of service that they can provide and will provide. Um, it really challenges the person receiving the service, the person on the other end of, is this something I want to put myself through again? And usually the answer is no. And so it has a long-term impact and maybe delaying seeking medical care when it's necessary based on those terrible experiences before. Um, and knowing that your provider is just not going to listen to you. I've also had folks explicitly tell their provider, this is hurting me. I do not like when you do that. Yes, they continue to do it anyway. Or they don't listen and respect the pain that this person is having. And there have been instances in the media, um, one in particular, I guess kind of high profile that's easy for me to reference is tennis player Serena Williams, in which, you know, she mentioned to her provider, I have a history of this and this is hurting me. They didn't listen to her. And because they didn't listen, she hemorrhaged and there was a lot of blood loss and she could have died. But that isn't the only instance of that happening. That happens every day. Um, what is it going to take for people to wake up, pay attention, and recognize that privilege that they hold as a non-person of color, a white person, um, the biases that they hold against the folks that they are servicing drastically impacts their health outcome. And it's not just the fact that race is playing a role in this. It's not just the fact that I'm going to walk into a doctor's office and because I'm black, that means I'm going to have higher rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, et cetera. That, it doesn't work that way. It's the racism that is exhibited throughout my navigation of the healthcare system. The racism that's exhibited just throughout my entire life history um, impacts how my body then reacts to the external environment and my susceptibility to certain illnesses, um, what medications are available to me and based on where I live within a community or a neighborhood, the history of racism, what sort of resources were provided and withheld within that community for a number of years, how that then also impacts my longevity of health. So it's a very nuanced issue and the only way to really understand that is for people to call it for what it is in the hospital and wherever else they see it. It is racism. Call it what it is. It is racism. Um, and one thing that I see is happening now is there has been kind of a, a little shift in complementary care. So there's some providers and some insurance companies that are understanding that 
there are all of these biases and discrimination and privilege that's held up within the maternal health care system, a system that inherently undervalues Black lives, right? So because of that, how about we complement that care with midwifery care or quote-unquote alternative health care? Um, because it's it focuses on a different philosophy, a different approach to health and wellness. It's not um, fatalistic. It doesn't look at health as let's focus on the disease and problem first, and then we'll work on getting you well. Midwifery care is more preventative. It's whole person. It's a, um, how do I say, it's a collaborative effort. You're working together. And so I do see where models like that are becoming more the norm the health outcomes increase drastically. It's not enough right now to make a huge dent in overall U.S. maternal mortality, but at least in certain areas throughout the country, I do see it having a lot of value. Um, Philadelphia is one of them. Um, our neighbors in New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, um, they're also adopting kind of that model and they're also doing a lot to support doula care as well. Um, and looking at doulas as being, you know, agents of change within the biomedical maternal healthcare system. Um, so when we can kind of get on board with that as a whole, as a nation, um, nothing's going to change with this maternal mortality rate, nothing at all and addressing racism for what it is. And unfortunately, the person we have in the White House right now is not helping. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna leave it at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. My gosh, friends listening in, you're gonna need to listen to this episode at least a couple of times to really, really take this in. It's so important. I, last question I wanna ask you. Sure. So I work closely with many doulas, friends with doulas, have hired doulas in the past. And I know that particularly when birthing in hospital, they can experience some difficult interactions with the other medical providers at the hospital. And I'm wondering if this is consistent with your experience and then for these added factors of racism with you being a black woman who is a doula supporting birth in hospital, what is your experience of that like? Um, my experience is, is very interesting. I kind of get a range of reactions. Um, and I think my, my role as a doula working within that system is interesting because I get to view it from the lens of, I'm not the provider, I'm not the patient, I'm just kind of like a third party fly on the wall, kind of watching these interactions occur um, and intervening where necessary. And just in terms of, of the benefits and, and roles of, of a doula, 
in terms of addressing maternal health disparities, it's, you know, when you have communities of color where discrimination, disempowerment um, is so prevalent, doula care can have a really big impact. And having someone who looks like you um, understands kind of the, the cultural context and experience of, of your life really does make a difference. And honestly, just being in the room, being in the space as a doula drastically shifts the power dynamic um, during labor and childbirth. Because I don't know what it is, but I've had some providers who, you know, just based on information that clients tell me, say, you know, their providers are, have been pushy, um, haven't been, oh, there's a dog. Sorry, <laughs> guys. It's fine. Such a great guard dog. Um, haven't been the most, you know, their bedside manners are just are not there. Um, however, when I come into the room, they see one, oh, okay, this person does have more support than I thought they did. And two, okay, there's someone here who may call out my shit if it needs to be called out. Um, and there's someone here who can hold me accountable for the things I say, the actions I do, and how I treat this person. And so sometimes just having the mere presence of a doula, even if I literally don't say anything to that provider, um, really drastically changed the power dynamics. And let me also mention, you know, I talk a lot about kind of intervening. I rarely, rarely, if ever, speak for or on behalf of a person. Um, that is not the role of a doula. That is not the role that I take because um, that would go against everything that I stand for and my belief of empowering and uplifting the voice of the person going through that experience. Um, however, what I think the, the tools and skills come in in terms of what I do provide as a doula is being able to help the person piece together all the information um, to ask those right questions and be a reassuring presence and that it's okay to question your provider. It's, this is your experience, your body, you're going through this. It's okay to want to have a better understanding um, and ask why are we doing this? Or why are you recommending that? Or what exactly does this mean? Um, it looks like my blood pressure is getting high. Okay, what does that mean? Um, what are some of the risks? What are some of the benefits? And what are my options? And if you don't like their answer, guess what? You can always ask for a second opinion. And people are so baffled sometimes when I say that. It's like, what do you mean? The, the doctor's right here. Yeah, there's another doctor on duty too. Call that person up. Get them here and see what they say. Um, so it's, it's really just being able to 
properly navigate those conversations and make for a more uh, holistic and informed communication. And something as simple as like consent is something that I don't see often either. It's such a, Jesse, it's such a simple concept. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you, I, I, do you mind if I do another cervical exam? Do you mind if I move you over to your side um, so we can shift positions and see if things change with baby's heart rate? How do you feel about, um, you know, increasing this medication? It, things like that, that type of language, not, okay, it's time for an exam, let's go. That makes a huge difference. And I've seen that. And what I'll do is, like I said, I don't speak for anybody, but I'll talk directly to the client and say, are you okay with that? Is that fine for you? How do you feel about that? Oh, or I say, oh, would you like a little more information? And then that sometimes prompts the nurse or the provider, oh, okay, let me expand on this because I didn't expand on it before. Um, and so because of that, I, I, I try to toe the line very gently as to not offend anyone um, because I do have respect for those providers and the work that they do. It's, it's very important. Um, but what I don't have respect for is when they turn disrespectful um, and disregard the people that are in that room. Um, and so I try not to come off as adversarial. I always, you know, ask questions in a very polite manner until, until I can't anymore, you know. Um, but for the most part, I haven't had too many issues with providers. Um, I did have this, this one recent incident where I attended a prenatal appointment with a client and we were, you know, talk with her provider about her birth plan and kind of, you know, what she was hoping for um, during the experience, just wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page. And as I pulled out, you know, just a little one-sheeter with some information, I pulled out the one-sheeter and I went to present it to the provider he just like stared at me. He gave me a blank stare and he said, oh, okay, no need to do that. And so I said, no, no, here you go. Here's the plan. Here, I'm like forcing it. I I wish you could see my motion right now. I'm like forcing (laughs) it in his hand so that he can take it. And he was just so reluctant to having that conversation. And I I don't understand why. I don't understand why. And that happens occasionally, not too often, but occasionally I'll get, you know, some providers who are just so reluctant to having any type of conversation of changing their policies based on someone's wishes or desires. And I also want to mention that just because it may be policy doesn't mean you have to adhere to it. Um, And that's one thing that 
I don't think providers appreciate from me and asserting that to, to folks is just because the hospital says, oh, it's, it's our practice or it's our policy to do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, I always tell folks that's a preference, just like you have a preference. And if that preference disagrees with yours, so be it. Sorry about it. You supersede, right? You, you outrank in this moment. Um, because you, going back to colonization and thank you capitalism, you are the consumer. And so, and so you're the consumer in this industry. So whatever you want, they need to provide to you um, and find a way to work around it. And that may anger some people, but so be it. Oh, your work is so vital. It really, really is. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know I'm like, just like patting your ear off right now. I apologize. Oh my gosh. No, are you kidding? I love it. We could stay on here for hours, barely (laughs) scraping the surface. Um, And with that said, I know that we do need to wrap up. So I just want to be sure that we tell people where they can find you uh, more information about you. Yes, thank you. Thanks again, Jesse, for this conversation. Um, I think it's, it's a really important conversation to have. Um, like you said, we're just kind of touching the surface, just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but if other folks after listening to this can go and, and spark other conversations with people in their network um, and learn a little bit more about some of these issues, um, I think, you know, we've, we've done our job. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about me, you can find me at blackmoondoula.com. You can find me on Instagram at blackmoondoula and Facebook as well, blackmoondoula. I try to keep it simple and easy. Uh, And if you also want to find out about um, the Oshun Family Center that I'm working with, um, that's Oshun familycenter.com. Wonderful. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Takara, you are an incredible educator. I really can't thank you enough for this conversation today. Thank you so much, Jesse. I really appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 